0: Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles.
1: Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.
2: Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm Catherine O'Hara.
1: I don't remember anyone else from that
2: movie. Oh, you're so young. <laughs> Beetlejuice scared me when I was a kid. Like,
1: I went to see the show, and there was a couple moments that I had, like, flashbacks of having nightmares when I was a child.
2: Oh,
0: really? Like, the shrunken head <laughs> scared
1: the- Ever living bejesus
0: out of me!
2: Well, in case you didn't figure it out, we're talking about Beetlejuice, which now has taken over September here on the Theater Podcast. Uh, And so the first, the first two episodes actually is are with William Ivy Long, who now with Tootsie and Beetlejuice are his seventy fourth and seventy fifth Broadway credit. What? As a costume designer, this dude just does not stop.
1: When when we got the opportunity to interview him, I my heart dropped. I flipped out. I my nerdiness just exploded. He is beyond incredible. He's
0: done some of the most amazing shows you have ever seen. Producers, mm-hmm. and now he's doing Beetlejuice and all these different things. Where it's just like, wait, you're real. You're here. Oh my god!
2: And ironically, I I don't know why I knew this, but I had forgotten it. That he's from Raleigh
1: everyone's from North Carolina. With
2: me, and, and he literally, as an infant, lived in a stage-right dressing room in the community college that where I got my start. And there's a plaque on the wall. At the time, when I was just starting out, I didn't know who he was. I saw this plaque, and I was like, okay, cool, some person's been here. But then remembering as an adult, been in this business for a while, I like, holy crap, like that's a big deal. It but yeah, all we comes
1: back around.
2: we gushed on each other, and we in, love. Our, in our southern drawls came back out a little bit. And uh, you know, what was really funny for me though, was at the end, uh, after we stopped recording, he was telling me that um he took off his glasses so that he couldn't see me clearly because it helped him relax because he was nervous to do the interview.
1: That's so cute.
2: He was nervous to do an interview. This, this legend, this man that has been in the business forever.
1: But well, that just shows you that even if you are a legend or even if you have this amazing long career, you're still a person and everybody is still just making their way through.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The business. Such a nice guy. So I, I can't wait to share this with you. And actually, like I said, this is going to be uh, a two part um, interview we're going to release in two episodes. This, so this is part one. Um, and, uh, Stick around in a few days, we'll release part two because we talked so long that we want to split it up for you. So before we get into it, as always, visit us at ttp.fm slash Patreon to show your support or just visit us at ttp.fm to listen, subscribe, share with your friends, give us a rating, give us a review, follow us on the Instas, all of that fun stuff. Enjoy this takeover month with Beetlejuice. Please go see the show. It is phenomenal. And now enjoy this episode, part one of William Ivy Long.
1: Actually a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase
2: necessary. BTW, void report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: Here you go. One, two, three.
2: I'm truly honored and humbled to sit with my guest today. This six-time Tony Award-winning costume designer has won for the show's nine Crazy For You, The Producers, Hairspray, Grey Gardens, and the recent revival of Cinderella. Over his phenomenal 43-year Broadway career, he's garnered an additional 11 Tony Award nominations and has even gone so far as to be nominated against himself this past award season for costume design for both Tootsie and Beetlejuice, both currently running on Broadway. William Ivy Long, welcome to the theater broadcast. Well, <laughs> thank you. I love this airy here <laughs> way
0: above uh, Broadway.
2: Yeah. It's great. Yeah, this is a great space. I love yeah, it. I love it. But you, I, I did some math, 43 years starting from your first- Is it really 43 your, years? Your first Broadway credit, um, and you have done, you're credited with 75 Broadway shows. That's correct.
0: Beetlejuice, in fact, we called it my- Diamond Jubilee. (laughs) Another excuse for a party.
2: (laughs) And 38 off-Broadway shows. Okay. Which... That right. does not include the touring production of Dreamgirls, five films, or the six TV shows. But just Broadway and Off-Broadway wow. is almost three shows a year for almost half a century. Oh, my God. That's me?
0: That's, that's <laughs> uh, you.
2: No wonder I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, what, why do you do so much? How
0: do you do so much? I'm a Virgo. Um, when you're, when you're born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina, that's, something you must know about. That's right. That's where, um, where I'm from. You, you uh, c- come out running, you know? Mm-hmm. Not running away, just running. <laughs> running in place. And uh, I actually don't know how to answer that question. You just, <laughs> I think I love it. I think I love it. And uh, the people we work it's all about the people. It's two things. The stories we tell and the people with whom we tell them. That is uh, the key to... To why you do anything in the theater, I Mm -hmm. think. Um, The stories you tell do they have a purpose? Do they have a a zinger? Do they have a life changing motivation and result? Hopefully, yes, 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 yes. And then the people with whom you work uh, change your lives, your life constantly.
2: Constance. As a costume designer, that's that's really interesting to me that that you're thinking about the result and the change that these characters are bringing to the. Oh, you world. wanted me to talk about chiffon and uh, <laughs> gussets. <laughs> no, I can do that too. I <laughs> just mean it, it's it's it, you're you're the first costume designer I've interviewed on the podcast, and obviously an extremely successful one. And so there's something about you that has just worked and so you know we're going to dive into that well i I don't think i've ever been asked that even in my
0: wildest dreams and there have been some wild dreams (laughs) but uh gosh what makes sammy run i mean wasn't that a novel a film a what was that a broadway musical passion Um, motivate yeah yeah i don't know i think you there's that carrot there's an elusive carrot that you want you want like a whole bushel of carrots to spell out your name at the end of your life, and if you have W and I and L in it, it makes easy carrot spelling. <laughs> but uh, and you you really want to have done something. And I'm I'll never forget that. this is how, this is the hubris. Okay, get ready to be sh- I'm going to be shot down for saying this, but I remember I was in college. Uh, one of my colleges, my first college, uh, William and Mary mm-hmm. in uh, Williamsburg. And I remember realizing, because I was a a painter, I've always painted, I've always drawn, I've always sketched, I have a cut. You're lucky there's no pencil right in front of me or I'd be ruining this table. Um, I realized I wasn't going to be Michelangelo. And at the time, this was, you know, because when you're in college, you're profoundly, you know, into, you know, the ethos Mm -hmm. and you're profoundly into everything that means something. So, It was only decades later, like, you know, that I realized how preposterous and presumptuous this was. (laughs) Wait a minute. William, I belong, and Michelangelo, let me think. But seriously, that was a turning point. I realized I was not going to be a great artist. And so you look around and see what you you go, wow.
2: So you (laughs) you went to William & Mary with a degree in history. That's right. So... You weren't even yes, drawing. Yes, but there's the world. Drawing.
0: But artist is a big letter A and a little letter A, and a, you know, right, with right. like that. Well, let's uh, let's back. I'm up. just telling you the truth. I mean, you know, you're asking me why our runs do so much, and I just I don't know. That that slowed me down. That one when I realized, oh my. I'm not it. <laughs> oh, I think I think everybody needs to reinvent themselves multiple times in their life. Absolutely, that was the first of uh, many, and I had one this morning.
2: <laughs> so reinvention, you know, are us. Right, right. Well, I actually wanna, I wanna have you clarify. Wikipedia says you're from Raleigh. You just said you're from Raleigh, but I read somewhere you're from Seaboard, North Carolina. Is that a little suburb of Raleigh? Well, oh
0: Lord. Am I supposed to tell the truth? (laughs) I was supposed to be born in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mm -hmm. There was a polio outbreak in Raleigh the summer of 1947, and my great-grandmother— And you know, Southern great grandmothers, Uh she laid down the law and she says that my first great grandchild will not be born in polio infested Raleigh. (laughs) (laughs) So I, it was sort of like we got on the mule and started going towards Bethlehem and we landed in (laughs) Pennsylvania and I was born in Williamsport, Pennsylvania. I like to think the town was named after me, but uh, (laughs) you
2: were named after the town. (laughs) No,
0: No, I'm the, uh, my father, but also after the town, of course. But anyway, so I was actually born in in uh, but I claim see, uh, I claim well I claim seaboard sometimes, but I claim Raleigh as my birthplace. Yeah. Can I think you can do that, right? You can rewrite. If it,
2: yeah. I Especially
0: mean, in this year of uh, that that man's uh, fake news, we can just say oh, anything. right
2: It's an alternative fact. You can just put that out that's there right. and it, now now it's that's true. It. So
0: I was born and raised in Raleigh, North Carolina. I have such a hard time right now
2: not letting my accent slip back in. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just going to egg you on and we're going to be a mess.
2: <laughs> I I I ditched it. I ditched
0: it so hard and I go back. I tried a, to too. I don't have one at all except when when I'm, you know, goaded.
2: You want to like put a, you want to put on the charm a little bit. I can do that little. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, then what but what was your childhood like? Like your parents Well, I was get-
0: actually um the reason we were in well, my I was the first uh, child, first son, first grandson, first great grandson, our first child, you know, like that child, mm-hmm. person, I guess. But back then, you used gender words, um, and to be born and raised in in Raleigh, guess where my first childhood home? It was literally my home, coming after at age six weeks until I was three and a half years old. I grew up in the stage left dressing room of the Raleigh Little Theater Outdoor Amphitheater. And about four years ago, Raleigh has a sense of humor. They declared it, Willie, really might be a long day, and they put a plaque on that <laughs> beautiful WPA-built stone building with a slate roof. And uh, it was just a big party. And uh, literally, that's my childhood home. So when you grow up in a stage-left dressing room, you open the door to go out, and you step on the stage. Yes. So that is what I. I be careful where you raise your children, and I remember fireflies. I remember I have no fear of lightning. And when you live in a little tiny brick house with a slate roof, that's a dressing room. Uh, everything is magical. Mm-hmm. Everything is theater. Everything is stories. Uh, the firefly. I remember the fireflies. I remember uh, the Easter. Uh, sunrise services because finally somebody was up when I was awake. Because uh-huh. you know, I've been an early farm ro- boy riser for, for forever. And there's a, a rose garden. Canty Sutton is was, her name. I was going to ask if you it know was the there. rose garden. Yeah, of course. Yeah. People well, get married
2: there all the time. They do.
0: And it's, there was a, there that was and is a, a fountain. In the little circular fountain, mm-hmm. and I heard, Billy, don't run near that fountain. Well, of course, that was my destination constantly all day long. <laughs> and I would swim and bob up and down in that in that fountain. And there are pictures of me in the fountain. And it was a boy with a dolphin. And the dolphin would be spouting the water. Mm-hmm. And I just loved that. I thought, well, all it was then when I saw years ago Cuckoo's Beauty and the Beast, and I saw all those arms holding, you know. Uh, torches and and candelabras and things like this. I thought, well, that's like, of course you go, and there's this little boy with a dolphin. The dolphin is creating, you know, the water in that pond. So it all tied together with me, surrealism and playing in the Rose Garden. And then in the plays, the very first awareness I had of what theater was or what alternate (laughs) reality was, I remember going into a very long, dark room about, I guess, 20 feet. I had no concept of place, but people were about the size of my hand. And I watched a man yell at my mother and pull her hair, and she cried. And I remember crying, and I then I don't remember being there anymore. I was watching, I was told years later, my mother in death of a salesman. <laughs> <laughs> There's no trauma like childhood trauma. but <laughs> So
2: it's guard it you enough to get you into the theater. It did. I
0: couldn't stay away. And uh, so my, my father was technical director of the Raleigh Little Theater. That's his first job since I was born. And uh, my mother was... A stay-at-home master's degree, multi-master's degree-winning writer and historian. So uh, that lasted exactly as long as each of the three of us were born. And then she whoop, started uh, on her own feet and flying away. Wow. So, um, But we, we lived there. It was magical. There were fireflies. There, were, um, there was thunder. Oh, thunder, you know. Oh, yes. Lightning is angels striking matches. And thunder is angels moving furniture. That's such a Southern Isn't thing. Isn't that a Southern thing? Because, you Aww. know, there's so much furniture to move. Bless your heart. <laughs> Bless <laughs> my heart. <laughs> so anyway, those are those are my memories of... Uh, but they're pretty seriously big
2: memories. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I, I, I thought everyone lived in the theater. I got my... I used to perform. I guess you're always an actor if you're an actor. It's, it never leaves your soul, but I... I got my start, my serious start, when I fell in love with theater at RLT. Amazing, amazing. And was Haskell Haskell
0: Simmons the Haskell Haskell in was, was in charge, artistic director.
2: Yeah, like I, I was bouncing back and forth between John McElwee at NC State. Yeah, you know John, you know, mm-hmm. he just retired. Amazing. Yeah, John, John at NC State and Haskell at RLT, and then with it Amazing. At, with Ira David Wood, of, who I grew up with at, at the Lost Colony Theater in the Park. And, like, that I, was my triangle. Oh, my
0: goodness. See? And, wow. Well, I still work with David. Yeah. And uh, I just finished. I'm currently in The Lost Colony. is still running. I am, this is my 50, 40, pardon me, 49th season with The Lost Colony. I am current, I have been for the last 20 years a uh, production designer, meaning scenery, costumes, yeah. props. Right. And uh, David's the director. And um, my parents were there. My father was in it like the, Third year on, and then he directed it, and my mother played Queen Elizabeth, as we, my brother and I say, on stage and off. <laughs> and uh, so we're we're all Lost Colony people, and well, North Carolinians are are, are storytellers and are history oh, yeah. history storytellers, history tellers, and uh, there's so much. Of the history, and uh, that's where the whole country of uh, invading uh, Anglo Saxons Mm -hmm. landed, Mm -hmm. and that's where you know at the at Fort Raleigh.
1: Judy was boring. Hello. Then
2: Judy discovered jumbacasino.com.
1: It's my little escape.
2: Now Judy's the life of the party.
1: Oh baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon.
2: Whoa, take it easy, Judy.
1: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life.
2: No purchase necessary. BGW. Revoid. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 and then got lost. I believe it is correct that theater in the part, uh, the Christmas Carol at Memorial auditorium is it still called Memorial auditorium. I think it is. We call it that. Yeah. That's what it'll always be to me. Yes. Um, is part of like tour tour books now. It's like if you're here during this time of the year, this is a North Carolina staple you must go see. Really? The yeah. Christmas Carol. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for David. So for good the, for Dickens. Yeah. So <laughs> good for, for you. For those who don't know, yeah, Ira David Wood, he he and the uh, Third. The third, yeah. He and Terrence Mann originally wrote this script like coming up about 40 years ago or something. And it changes. It's like a three-hour-long production, changes every year f- to add in jokes and bring in pop culture references. Correct. And it's this comedy of Christmas Carol that still has such heart. And it's a completely unpaid, no one's paid community theater production that sells out the largest venue in the area. Amazing. And over... his son is now playing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ira the Fourth. Ira Four. Ira, another great. Well, great... I grew up with with
0: with David and. Um... We didn't call him Ira then. We called him David Mm -hmm. and Terry and Billy. And we were all in the Lost Colony. And I think I was 19 and
2: the two of them were 17. Really? Isn't that crazy? And And we're still working together. I'm working with Terry all the time. Was Evan Wood, Evan still was, was she already in LA at this point? Evan Rachel Wood? No. When we were 19 and 17. <laughs> oh, when you were 19 and 17.
0: Yes, yes, yes. She was not she even. She was not yeah. even a spark in a yeah, in yeah. an eyebrow. She wasn't even a raised eyebrow <laughs> at that moment.
2: All right, all right. So back to you here. Okay, so you, you went to William & Mary, degree in history. Yes, uh-huh. And then you find yourself at UNC Chapel Hill. Then I go back home. See, all the longs. There were two uh,
0: long brothers from Northampton County, where Seaboard is.
2: Northampton.
0: Northampton <laughs> County. And oh, uh, Yeah. Well, David's from Enfield and I'm from Seaboard. Right. Anyway, and Raleigh, as you noticed. But anyway, there were two Long brothers in the first class. So all the Longs, if you can read and write and walk and uh, talk sort of intelligently, you go to Chapel Hill or you just don't go. And so the Longs, my brother, we all, my parents met there. Uh, they were Carolina playmakers. Mm-hmm. My father then taught there uh my brother and I both graduated from there or and uh well he graduated from there I was in art history and uh as my first graduate school and I'd gone to William Mary I was the rebel because you know in the 60s I was being rebellious so my version was not to go to the family school uh to go to another school so I went to an even older school (laughs) went to William Mary and um but then I, when I got to William Mary, uh, one of our neighbors uh, from growing up, and someone who taught my parents, both of them playwriting, Betty Smith, uh, who wrote A Tree Grows in Brooklyn and um, lived on Rosemary Street, said, let Billy come and stay with me. So <laughs> Billy stayed with Betty for three years. Well, little did we all know what was happening in the ethos. Betty had gone to, she was in the original class at Yale Drama School, George Pierce Baker's Baker's dozen of playwrights, meaning there were thirteen playwrights. Mm-hmm. She was one of the thirteen playwrights. Well, through osmosis, I shifted my focus from Renaissance and Baroque architecture, where I was a Samuel H. Crest Teaching Fellow at Chapel Hill. This was really my passion. Uh, I was going to be a, a historian. I was going to. I was going to you know, just spend my life in the architrave of life. <laughs> uh, Entesis was going to be how I stood, you know, um, like that. And somehow I shifted my focus and found myself, after you know, after my final class, uh, applying to the Yale Drama School, dropping and so cocky. You notice since I, of course, just... <laughs> full of it. (laughs) I dropped my application into the, um, into the post office box and got on the plane and went to Florence because they had scholarship money for studying. And I was Renaissance break Architect. So I continued, went to Florence for the summer, came back, opened my, um, my acceptance. I just thought life was going to be like that. Wow. <laughs> it's amazing we aren't shot down more often. <laughs> I have been since, but back then it was pretty magical.
2: That's ridiculous. Okay, so then you go to Yale School of Drama.
0: To major in scenic design right. with Ming Cho Lee. Right. My so, great teacher, yeah, the greatest teacher, probably still living on the planet. He's still living. He's 80, 88 now. Oh, no, he's not. He's. I think he's in his 90s. Hasn't he kicked into the night? 19? I don't no, know. I think so. I think Wikipedia tells me he's 88. Well, there you go. Um, Youngster.
2: So he was in his 40s
0: when you were starting right. with him. That's right. Ridiculous. And who was your roommate? Oh, now you've been reading these, this Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, really. My William & Mary roommate, see, I was really nervous and scared. You know, I would alternate between cocky and scared. Well, I didn't want to go up north with all those Yankees, you know. And so he, we got in his Winnebago and uh, parked in some parking lot down at the Knights Templar building in New Haven, not making this stuff. It's still there. Still the ugliest brown building you've ever seen in your life. And um, it looks like a, a Noguchi prototype of a big trash can. <laughs> and it isn't. But anyway, we parked in that parking lot. You wake up. It's all this burnt, brutalist brown. And... We go to the drama school, and I'm too scared to go to the green room. And he goes in and comes back with a what we now call a hanging Chad. He got the last roommate wanted on this yellow mm-hmm. Post-it thing, and pre-Post-it. And um, I go in, and my uh, I discover that evening that my roommate is this very five of us in this Victorian building. My <laughs> my roommate sharing a bathroom was this beautiful brunette. Uh, young lady to whom I looked up <laughs> and uh, who went by the name of Sigourney. And uh, the next morning when we were all dividing the shelves in the kitchen, one floor below, there was this beautiful blonde girl by the name of Meryl. And uh, they and Barry Marshall and his wife and I made up this five-person um, <laughs> Victorian house. Ridiculous. I know, cannot make it, can't make it up.
2: So Sigourney Weaver, Meryl Streep, they knew each other? Did they meet potluck roommates? That's
0: where they met, too. We all met. Well, Sigourney was in her third year. See, uh, the Yale Drama School MFA program is a three-year program. She was the grown-up. She was the third year. And Meryl and I and Barry were in in our own class. Soon to be called, within that very year, the Meryl Streep class. Honest wow. to goodness, honest to goodness. That is crazy. So, okay, so you're coming to work. Yeah. She even became an adjective. But, but Walt Jones, who was the director, uh, he and Barry were the two directors, uh-huh. Barry Marshall and Walt Jones, in our class. And Walt Jones invented the term to "streep it up, <laughs> which means focus, focus, take over, own the
2: stage, streep it up. And he made that up that very first year. I I imagine all <laughs> of you getting privately very like off-the-wall crazy, and then publicly, you know, you got to keep your image. But it was college. I hope you. I hope you it had was so pretty fun. crazy.
0: It was pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah.
2: Do you tell me any secrets? No, no, not at all. Mer- Merrill's lawyers will come down on us. Um, Good taste is timeless. Um, yes, yes, yes. Uh, so Ming Cho Lee, what he was a major influence on your work. You've been
0: you've been quoted oh, as saying that he's been my, a major on uh, my life. What a, an ethic he sent us. Ming Cho Lee as I, I previously referred to him as the greatest teacher ever, we showed up to the first, there were only six of us in our design class and, uh, and me. That mm-hmm. was it. And we showed up and he asked, it was a Wednesday morning, I think at nine or 10, can't remember. And uh, he said, has everyone registered to vote? And of course we all looked and said, no. He canceled the class and sent us down to the, this, the quad down in New Haven f- so that we would register to vote. Now, if that isn't the best way to focus your design students on what we're here on the planet for and how engaged we must become in order to you know, tell these,
2: these important stories. So Ming Cho Lee, ladies and gentlemen, Wow. And he got his own, he got his own Tony in 1983 for scenic design. And then in 2013, a lifetime achievement award. That's right. That's right. Lifetime achievement Tony award. And yeah, he is. just He's the greatest. He, he, he's just, I mean, through example, through, through his ethical
0: example, through his brushstrokes, through his drawing, through his, his, there's a monograph on uh, uh, that Aronson did, Arnold Aronson did on him. And it's when you get, you finish all the, earth shattering scenic, uh, you know, milestones and the, you know, w- along with Boris Aronson, I mean, and c- come on, these are, you know, there you are. And Mel Zener, the 20th century and, uh, along with these milestones. And then at the end, almost as a postscript, are his watercolors. Hmm. And you just go, oh, just stop my heart right now. <laughs> and uh, just everything he touches is, is, is magical. And the best part of working with Ming is his script analysis. Now, remember, English is his second language. Mm-hmm. Mandarin is his first language. And uh, Cho Li Ming, I think that's how it goes. Uh, and I I.M. Pei was his first cousin. So when you'd go to his Christmas parties, there'd be I am Pei. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a cultured crowd there, and uh, just the the moral moral intensity, and the why do we do theater? What can theater do to change lives? What to do when you have no when you you're stumped? How do you get off your no imagination bench? You know, all these things. These are major things to be instructed on. Uh, I didn't say how do you find creativity. I said how do you because that I don't think anyone has ever said that to me. Some people ask it now. Oh well, how do you teach creativity? Well, I don't even know what you're that, just creative. I don't know what that means. But when you're stumped, mean there are several things you can do, that you go back and you research and you go back and do another layer of deeper, deeper study, and uh, so. Three
2: years of Ming Cho Lee is is enough to get you going. <laughs> I've been very lucky. That's very an, lucky. That's incredible. It, it, not coming from a scenic design background or costume design at all. Like I would think, you know, the 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 coursework would be, and I, I assume it sort of included this of like, well, how do you create this texture, or how do you make this look, or you know, like the actual logistics. Of putting things together? That came later. Yeah. Oh, it, later, really? Yeah, that came later. Oh, so I guess yeah, that makes sense though. So What's see- the world? Yeah.
0: What do you want the, the the audience to experience? What is this story telling? How is this Shakespeare best interpreted this
2: week? Huh. Like that. Yeah. No, I'm talking big stuff. Right. Big stuff. Okay. So then God, there's so much I want to talk about here. How about um, the, I've only taken one costume course.
0: <laughs> Do you have that down there? No, I didn't. Oh, know that. that's my new announcement. Okay. I usually keep it secret. But um, yeah, I took one two-hour course and then focused on me.
2: No kidding. Yes.
0: Yes, I've taken more lighting design courses than costume courses.
2: So well, how did tell me the story? How well did you, you picked
0: it up it? along the way. Well, <laughs> and I've always been fascinated by clothing and by costume and telling telling stories. Um, of people's lives through either red herring, what they're wearing, what they're not wearing, or where are they going, where are they not going, how, to, how do they want to confuse you? Clothing can do so many things. Mm-hmm. So I think I've just always been fascinated, but I've never uh, formally studied it. It's always been my, I guess, avocation.
2: That is incredible. Yeah. And you you only... Uh, I'm trying to find it in my notes here. So you were you, in 1970 until 1978. You were an apprentice in New York um, for for someone doing scenic design, right?
0: No, I moved to New York. I was, you know, farm boy from Raleigh, North Carolina, and <laughs> with no sophistication whatsoever. And uh, I wanted some desperately. Guess what? I'm still searching for it. <laughs> still no sophistication whatsoever. Just ask all my friends. And um, so I thought, okay. I need to go because one of the things, well my bet I had two best friends at, at drama school. One was an undergraduate, Paul Rudd. And the other was the year <laughs> right after me, Wendy Wasserstein. So the three of us were sort of this crazy group. But especially Wendy and I, we, she, she did work study. She was the librarian at the drama school library. And so we would do all manner of crazy things. I can't even tell. If we had more time and this were cocktail hour, I'd tell you about the few things we used to do, which <laughs> probably are yet to be discovered in those books. But anyway, we'd write little things and put them anonymously in books. Um, love letters from... Bob Brewstein to Norma Brustein and we'd make up love letters and we'd write like Congrave would write, or we'd write like Sam Shepard would write and we'd write love letters and then fold them up either perfectly or we imagined who the person was, crumpled them and then put them in another book. So, and we did this for like years. So there's probably this whole parallel world of the love letters of Bob Brewstein and Norma <laughs> Brewstein, but as imagined by Chekhov and, shall we say? I don't know. What did I just say? Sam Shepard. Yeah, yeah. Um, But anyway, we were in the library, and that's where I discovered both Interview Magazine and Women's Wear Daily. And through studying, and I wanted to go to New York. When you go to the Yale Drama School, or I guess back then, any design school, you were destined for only two places. Los Angeles to do movies are New York to do Broadway. right? So, of course, we all wanted to go to Broadway, except for those of us who didn't. Then they all went out to L.A. And some few of us, like the blonde roommate and the brunette roommate, of course, <laughs> went everywhere <laughs> because they were ladies of the world and <laughs> could do anything and still can. And um, so, well, after what really occupied us was writing these love letters <laughs> anyway, uh, that Wendy and I would then post... Um, but studying uh, Warhol's and Fred Hughes' uh, you know, interview and then Women's Fair, Fairchild's uh, Women's Wear Fair Daily, I, all of a sudden this light bulb went off and I said, I have, I have to move to New York. I have to move to the Chelsea Hotel <laughs> <laughs> because that's where Charles James lives and works and I need to apprentice myself to the great couturier Charles James. Mm-hmm. All of that is what I did. It took me six months of stalking him and leaving these little crumpled love letter notes. That's my style, I guess. Uh, And no one reads them, (laughs) (laughs) obviously. So it took me six months. And then I started doing gopher work for him. And I sort of was a glorified gopher person around. You know, it's not called an assistant or an apprentice per se. I don't know. I was sort of, back then you were making up as you can tell mm-hmm. how you were doing it. But I was there until he died, and he died like four years later. Yeah. And right after he died, I left the Chelsea Hotel.
1: Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino's home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, So
0: I wanted to be, because when I came to, oh, by the way, when I graduated, I realized, oh, well, I know nothing, all of this, in spite of the great Ming training, because the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. In other words, he was successful. Yes. Uh, so, and I thought, what am I going to do? And I said, well, I have to go, uh, I have to now become a couturier, <laughs> <laughs> since I probably learned how to spell it, not pronounce it. <clears throat> And so I worked with him, and uh, that's an, an, another amazing character in my life who has influenced me
2: enormously. Right. And okay. So and then in '78, you got hired on the Inspector General, my first Broadway show, first Broadway show. Because someone dri- the director
0: was supposed to be doing it, doing the costumes, Levia Chule, and again Ming Cho Lee got Karen Schultz to replace him. Ming was supposed to do the scenery. Livia was doing the costumes. And Ming had to drop out for something for you Chule, by the way, the great Romanian uh, director, sonographer, costume designer, interpreter, writer. I did ultimately three major works with him all over the world later. Uh, but the first was he, Ming had to drop out. So Ming recommended Karen Schultz, one mm-hmm. of our classmates, Yale Drama School. And then Leave You got too busy directing and interpreting and working with these pesky, untra- unirassable American actors. <laughs> so he needed someone to do costumes. So he said to Karen, get, just get somebody. And Karen said, I have my friend William. And she, he said, just get somebody. I bring my portfolio. I have never done anything. He doesn't look at the portfolio, starts giving me notes. And really? that's how I get my first Broadway
2: show. Wow. Well, I was—I had a question of like, where where were you? You got the call. You didn't get a call. He just—you just, you just no. showed up. Karen said, "Oh, uh, you've got to interview with.
0: Maybe he'll hire you." He said, "Get somebody." And I, so I never interviewed. Didn't look at a damn thing. Just started
1: wow. <laughs>
0: telling me about the characters, Bob Chinsky, and you know, <laughs> Bob wow. Chinsky. Do you, do you, what never was the, What was it. the
2: feeling when you realized with you're Theodore
0: Bikel? Oh my goodness, <laughs> Theodore Bikel, the great, you know, artist and activist, was oh my goodness, he, Max Wright, wonderful actors in it. And I just thought, good Lord. And my producer of them, Ted Mann, of course, and Paul Libin. And I remember going to Paul Libin, my first Broadway producer, and crying because we had no more budget and I needed boots for <laughs> Theodore McKell and tears down my, my, my cheeks. And I remember, and I, of course, Paul Levin is, was, and is the great, the great Paul Levin. And I call him uncle Paul ever since. And people think I'm being cheeky and uh, I'm not being cheeky. It's out of love. Oh. He's uncle Paul. And uh, that was a great first. Oh, and there was a um, newspaper start strike. So there were no reviews except there was one review of the Inspector General uh, from the Christian Science Monitor. Of course, didn't mention me. I didn't get a review until years later. And that it was serviceable. (laughs) The serviceable (laughs) costume. Anyway.
2: That, wow. That's ridiculous. It sounds like a wild ride, doesn't it? It is. And And it was. And it made no sense. And that was just getting to Broadway. And then, then you're on Broadway. On Broadway. And... It, after Inspector General, what, like, did he well, take Well, still working
0: up? for Charles James, because I've yeah. got to mention, I would start working for him at 10 at night. <laughs> That's when he wanted to do things. All right. So uh, that left you all day and a full Broadway t- course of time to do whatever that is. And then I'd go back to the Chelsea <clears throat> and work with Mr. James.
2: Wow. So he just gave you show after show for, for a while, or...? Uh,
0: no, no. You mean um, leave you truly. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't. I then did an opera, a Voitsak, in uh, the Welsh National Opera, and what was another? Oh, and we did a famous Hamlet, infamous Hamlet, at the Public Theater, with Kevin Kline as Hamlet. Finally, Kevin Kline got to be Hamlet, and because you, you know there was a father-son relationship mm-hmm. started with Joe Papp and Kevin Kline. I mean, that's famous, and it was something to see. And uh, Joe Papp was something to experience, too. And um, he directed another thing that I did. Oh, my goodness, so many stories. But uh, Levy <laughs> directed it. And Kevin was so horrified by the directing style. This is Romanian. This is, this is Ultimo, Europeano, sofisticato. okay? So this is a, he, he did blocking. Levy Chule told everyone where to go when to breathe, mm-hmm. when to say this. And of course, Americans were just not having it, not in the 70s. <laughs> so uh, there was a little problem there. So that was fabulous to be working on that show.
2: Wow. But
0: anyway, yes. Yeah, so I did those things. When did I really get started? Well, that was the first one. Yeah. And then the second, what was my second probably show? Was it really, oh, the 1940s Radio Hour, which the first musical. And we had done this, as our, so, oh, because my class, you know, my class at the Yale Drama School with the blonde and the, you know, mm-hmm. the two directors I mentioned. And so we, of course, weren't going to go to the public theater or to Williamstown, which is the two places you'd go and for free spend your summers doing different shows. We created our own theater. So I converted a squash court in one of the buildings. <laughs> and so I designed the theater with all the fire exit codes. So, well, the codes, you know, then and now, gosh, that's why so much is so ugly. Codes design your so much of your architecture and your interior and then OSHA and your rules and this. So, But back then we were following all those things. So it was this God awful looking theater that I designed uh, with exit lights everywhere as part of the set. <laughs> crazy it's almost like Times square like a guys and dolls with exit signs and um <laughs> so i did the sets for all the whole se- for the f- next three years mm-hmm. i did all the scenery and costumes and Rudnick showed up to be my uh costume assistant
2: wow Paul Rudnick! so yeah so and the
0: was- first show we did that first year was the was um called the 1940s Radio Out. Mm-hmm. and my brother had inadvertently started. He had followed me up to Yale, too, so I guess it was our second year we did this, and uh, he had a sound project. My brother, Robert Long, Robert Long, he builds theaters, by the way, all around the country and the world, and um, he had a sound design assignment from his technical theater area, and he asked Walt Jones to direct a little, you know, five minute sound thing. And Walt ha- asked Merrill, and the two of them made railroad noises and slamming doors and, you know, uh, coconuts on tables <laughs> of the horses, you know, it was crazy. I don't know where this recording is, but Robert got an A and uh, Walt Jones had decided to write this musical, which is now done all over the country. You know, it's done by every high school and college in the world. So we did the first, and we did it every year for the next three years. And uh, then someone saw it at the, from the arena stage and uh, said, oh, let's do this. These kids can do this. <laughs> and so the kids did it. And then someone saw it. We came to Broadway. And that was my first musical.
2: Thanks for listening all the way to the end of part one with William Ivy Long. You can get me online, theater underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Leave a rating, leave a review everywhere that you're listening right now. It helps. This is produced by Jillian Hockman, edited by Matthew Hendershot. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for all of the intro and outro music you're hearing underneath us right now. In a few days, we'll release part two. So stay tuned. Take a deep breath, make the world a little colorful.